Well, once again, I just would like to welcome each and every one of you to Hope Covenant Church today. Uh, if you're new to our fellowship, I just want to mention that we are uh, just beginning a brand new series on the book of First Peter, and we're entitled uh, this whole series, Living Hope. And that's the phrase that is used over and over again by Peter, that we have this living hope. And my prayer for each of you is that you will experience this living hope uh, throughout this series. I would also mention that in your sermon notes, uh, the first two pages are for sermon notes, and the last two pages are for your personal study or for your uh, a discussion in grow groups. We have brand new grow groups that are starting all over uh, the area, all over the East Valley on different nights. And if you would like to be part of a grow group, uh, see Pastor Brandon uh, or you can just email the church and we will make sure that we get that information to you. But uh, just want to encourage you to uh, do your work uh, throughout the week in this amazing book that we call uh, First Peter. I'd like to begin by reading a text. Now, the entire text that we'll be looking at for the week uh, goes through chapter 2, verse 3. But this morning, I'm just going to focus on four incredible verses, uh, verses 13 through 16. Uh, hear the word of God. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy in all you do, for it is written, be holy because I am holy. We live, as you all know, in a very strange and troubled time. Someone has called the 21st century the age of anxiety. You look around and people feel anxious and fearful and disquieted. I ran across this little poem that seems to describe American life in 2012. Listen to this. This is the age of the half-read page and the quick bash and the mad dash. The bright night with the nerves tight. The plane hop with a brief stop, the lamp tan in a short span, the big shot in a good spot, and the brain strain and the heart pain, and the cat naps till the spring snaps, and the fun's done. I mean, the words fit our day, don't they? We live in this kind of fast food, hurry up, 4G, speed dial, faster is better world, yet that poem was written in 1949. And sometimes we forget that um, these troubled times that we feel we're in, uh, there have been troubled times for a long time. And one of the things we looked at last week, in, as Peter kind of introduced this letter to you that was written probably around A.D. 64, that uh, there, those troubled times that Peter was in are the same kind of times that we're in today. Maybe the tensions are a little bit different. Maybe the pains are a little bit different. But nevertheless, we live in that very difficult day today where we feel immense pressure in our lives. A tight race in the White House. Border Patrol agent that was shot down a few weeks ago, perhaps from friendly fire. Killing in the Middle East, riots in North Africa, war in Syria. The end, the list is endless and paralyzing. We live in a troubled time. Maybe you've heard of the article entitled, entitled The Paradox of Our Time. 
Um, the source is unclear. Some say that it's anonymous. Others say that it was written by that famous theologian, George Carlin. Um, anyway, uh, this is what the paradox of our time says. The paradox of our time in history is that we have taller buildings and shorter tempers, wider freeways, but narrower viewpoints. We spend more, but have less. We buy more, but enjoy it less. We have bigger houses and smaller families, more conveniences, but less time. We have more degrees, but less sense, more knowledge, but less judgment, more experts, but more problems, more medicine, but less wellness. We drink too much, smoke too much, spend too much recklessly, laugh too little, drive too fast, get too angry too quickly, stay up too late, get up too tired, read too little of God's word, watch too much TV, fast too rarely, give too little, pray too seldom. We have multiplied our possessions but reduced our values. We talk too much, love too seldom, and hate too often. We've learned how to make a living but not a life. We've added years to life but not life to years. We've been all the way to the moon and back but have trouble crossing the street to meet a new neighbor. We've conquered outer space but not inner space. We've done larger things but not better things. We've cleaned up the air but polluted the soul. We split the atom, but not our prejudice. These are the times of fast foods and slow digestions, tall men and short character, steep profits and shallow relationships. These are the times of world peace, but domestic warfare, more leisure, but less fun, more kinds of food, but less nutrition. These are the days of two incomes, but more divorce, of fancier houses, but broken homes. These are the days of quick trips, disposable diapers, throwaway morality, one night stands, overweight bodies and pills that do everything from cheer to quiet to kill. It is a time when there is much in the show window and nothing in the stockroom. That was entitled The Paradox of our time, and it seems so relevant today. And it's especially drawn to that one sentence that seems to describe Peter's description of the first century, and it's this. We've conquered outer space, but not inner space. Everything you need to know about our modern life is in that sentence. We build bigger, better, faster, shinier. We go to the moon, to Mars. Outer space seems accessible, but inner space is another problem. We're not even close to conquering that. The human heart is, well, it's as unruly as ever. So how do we go about conquering inner space? The passage that I read this morning from First Peter points the way. And it begins with the word, therefore. Now, if ever we lived in a complicated, troublesome, difficult time, it's today. But Peter was expressing the fact that his life and his day was just as complicated as ours, although different. So he starts his text with therefore. Now, if you recall from last week, um, anytime you see in the Bible the word therefore, you always ask what? What is it? Therefore, okay? So you're asking this of the text. Last week we looked at the first 12 verses, and specifically we, we honed in on verses 10 through 12. And we looked at the fact that this great salvation... This living hope, this experience of knowing and belonging to Jesus, this idea of being 
born anew, of saved, of born again, all the phrases that you hear tossed around, this idea of Christ becoming alive in us, this idea, this great salvation. And we talked last week about how it's so great because the prophets couldn't even understand it. So they, the prophets prophesied about it. They said, you can't believe what's going to happen, but something is going to happen in the future around this Messiah. He's going to come and he's going to die for your sins and come back from the dead. And it's going to change everything. And the, the prophets prophesied about that. And, and, and then the apostles preached it. And that's what we talked about in our last series. What is a Christian? The prophets proclaimed it. And they proclaimed this good news of Jesus Christ. And their delivery system was always the same. And that was love. It was love and changed the world for 300 years. And so the, the prophets uh, predicted it. The, 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 the apostles preached it. And then the angels inquired of it. I mean, the angels didn't even know what was going on. It, this, this, this salvation is so incredible. This idea that we can literally have Jesus living in us and transform our lives. This salvation is so amazing. The angels said, we don't even understand it. We, it's just incredible to us what is going on. So that is the therefore. Therefore, because this salvation is so amazing, it is so great. And then Peter goes on with his text. He's referring to this living hope that was predicted. In verse, uh, 1 Peter 1.10, it says, Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come. This salvation ordained by God, purchased by Jesus in the great exchange, imbued to us by the Holy Spirit. Now, the word imbued is in this text. It's not translated that way. That's kind of a, an old-timey, old uh, uh, King James kind of a word. But the word imbued is still a really good word, theologically. The word imbued, it's like um, um, to permeate something as if you had dyed it. Now, not D-I-E-D, but D-Y-E-D. As if you had dyed something. So, this... Um, Holy Spirit is imbued in you. In other words, it permeates you. And so every fabric of your being is colored. Every fabric of your soul is colored by the Holy Spirit. Isn't that a beautiful word? So uh, here is this salvation, this great salvation that Paul Peter's talking about. It's ordained by God. It's purchased by Jesus. And it's imbued to us by the Holy Spirit. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, that's good news. That's great news. That's amazing news. And that's what Peter's therefore is about. So he said, now, therefore, prepare your minds for action. In other words, now that you have Christ in you, start living like him. And then the word that many of you might even say, man, that sounds weird. I'm not sure about that. Kind of goes counter to what the sign out front says, right? Uh, you know, we, the, the Peter said, be holy because I am holy. And yet we put a sign out for him that says no perfect people allowed. So what's going on with that? You know, I talked to a, a new man this morning just briefly and, and he said, yeah, I mean, uh, no perfect people allowed except we are perfect. And there's truth to that. So so we want to take a look at that, what that means. Now that you have been saved, therefore, now that you have experienced this great salvation, you've been born again, you've experienced new life in Christ. You are living with Christ as your Lord and Savior. Then, as a result of that, Peter says, God proclaimed to Leviticus 14.8, Be holy because I am holy. Live a holy life like me. That, the actual nuance of that text means, live a life like me. Holiness remains a mystery to many Christians. Even some are repulsed by the idea of perfection. But it means simply, be 
like me. Remember uh, back in the 80s and early 90s, uh, uh, who had the famous, uh, you know, the commercials all over, Be Like Mike? Who's that referring to? Michael Jordan, okay? Be like Mike, okay? Well, in this case, it's be like me. Be like the Holy Spirit. And you're coming and you're going. Jesus would say, be like me. And you're buying and you're selling, be like me. And you're sleeping and you're waking, be like me. And you're thinking and you're dreaming, be like me. In your words and your deeds, be like me. In your Facebook posts and your texting, teenagers, be like me. Oh, that's why the teenagers left. Yeah. It, but that's for adults too. In all parts of your life, be like me. Now that sounds hard, and it is, and it isn't. So I want to explain to you this concept from Scripture of this word holiness. Be holy, God said, because I am holy. Leviticus 19.2. Now the Hebrew word there um, is gadosh. And it denotes um, a separateness, a sacredness, and a partness. And the Greek word Peter uses is hagios. And that word means to be blameless, to be different, to be set apart. Like you have a, you have a beautiful vase or a vase. And you have this gorgeous vase that's worth a lot. And it's very important to you. It's a treasure to you. And so you want to, you don't just put that down in the kid's toy box. You find a special place, a unique place for that, that vase. You say, okay, this is, so you put it up on the mantle so that it can be seen and appreciated. That's the nuance of this word hagios. You, believers, disciples, you, those who have experienced this great salvation, Jesus Christ alive in you, you are hagios. You were set apart for specific work. Let me, I'm, I'm going to mess up the, the light cues here, so that's all right. I think we'll still be able to see if I'm down here. But, um, Carol, would you come up here? Steve, would you come up here? And Viv, why don't you come up here? Okay. So, oh, man, that's it. I'm not going to sit in front again, you know. So I want you guys to stand next to each other. Okay. Okay, three of our stalwarts. <laughs> Vivian's is okay. Okay. Okay, so here's what hagios means. And now, I, I know this is, a, this is a stretch, but let's assume I'm Jesus, okay? Uh, so here's hagios. Okay, um, first of all, I want to tell the three of you um, how, how precious uh, you are to me. I, um, when I died on the cross, I had you in mind, each one of you, and I saw your face, and I, and I loved you so much that you meant everything to me. Now, because my great love for you, I have something incredibly important for you to do. I am going to, uh, Carol and Steve and Vivian, I'm going to set you apart. I'm going to make you special, hagios. I'm going to make you different. I'm going to set you apart for a work that only you and others like you can do. And that special set-apart thing is to take my message of love and give it to other people. Tell other people about it. I'm not going to be here. I'm going to be in heaven. So I, I need you to take this incredible message of the gospel that I died for people's sins and I want to save them. I want you to take that. And, and so I am anointing each of you. I'm setting you apart as a special treasure, a joy of mine and saying, this is what you were created for. 
This is what God has called you to do and be. This is why you exist. This is why you take a breath. You are set apart. You are special. You are hagios. You are that treasured vase. And that purpose I have given you, no one else can do it like you can do it, Vivian. And no one else can do it like you, Steve and Carol. No one else can do it the way you can do it for me. You are my special ones. You are my precious ones. You are hagios. Please be hagios as I am. Be holy. Be set apart as I am set apart. Thank you. You guys can be seated now. Thank you. That's what it means to be holy. Sometimes we get holy all tied up with um, behavior. Now, there's certainly part of that, of course, because the reason it's, it's connected to behavior is because if you sin and if you press into sin and if you go that direction, uh, whenever you sin, there's always a what? A gotcha. <laughs> there's always a gotcha. You know, we think sin looks so great from a distance. It looks so great. In fact, it feels so great and it's so amazing. And, you know, sin and you move that direction. But there's always a gotcha. And Jesus says to us, listen, listen, you are my disciples. I'm setting you apart to do this incredible work. You are the one that can take this good news to your office, to your school, to your situation. You can take this message of God's love and, and you are set apart to do that. You are so special. You are so anointed to do this. I am setting you apart and, and I want, but if you get off track and if you do the sin thing over here, there's always a gotcha and that sin thing literally taints the message that you want to give to others. People look at you and they say, instead of, man, that looks like Jesus, they look at you and say, look at that hypocrite. So that's why you want to stay away from the gotcha. You know, it's not a matter of, oh, I'm going to be so perfect that I'm, I'm, you know, everybody's going to think I'm awesome. No, it's not that at all. God has set you apart for something. And if you do the gotchas, you're not going to be set apart to do that. You're not going to be able to do that. Being holy is being like Jesus. Now, that's a, that's a participle. It's not something you're going to do tomorrow. It's not, you're not going to wake up and say, okay, I'm like Jesus today. But it's something every day of your life, you're becoming like Jesus. You're becoming like Him. More and more, you're recognizing your apartness, your specialness, your sacredness, your holiness, your hagios. More and more, you recognize that that's who I am. And today, I'm going to live like it. Today, I'm going to press into that. Today, I'm going to take that command on my life, that anointing on my life to go into with delivering with love, take the message of Jesus to others. I'm going to do that today. That's what it means to be holy. That's what it means to be hagios. God said, be holy, for I am holy. Does that help you with the nuance of this incredible word? It's not about a checklist of behavior. You're not holy because you don't do 25 things. That doesn't make you holy. What makes you holy is that Christ is in you and you are allowing the Christness in you to come out and say, you know what? God has anointed me and ordained me for something special for that. I'm that that vase. I'm that beautiful container of God's love. And I'm going to go and I'm going to be that. It's exactly what I'm going to be. The word hagios in the Old Testament as well, or the New Testament. The temple was hagios. It was different. It was different from all other buildings. It was set apart to worship God. The the temple was Hagios. The Sabbath was different from all the other days because it was set apart for a day to be with God. 
The believer, the disciple of Jesus Christ, not the Christian. If you're new here today, you have to go back and listen to some of those sermons. The believer, the disciple of Jesus Christ, you are hagios. You are different. You are set apart. God has ordained you and anointed you to be that person to carry the good news of Jesus Christ. You are hagios. You are different. You are separated for that distinct purpose to love God and to love others around you, to transform the world. We are called to reproduce the life of Jesus. That's what it means to be set apart. Peter says it later uh, in verses 22 to 23 of the text, and this is what he says. You were cleansed from your sin, because sin's got a gotcha, right? You were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth. So now you must show, listen, and when you, re- when you hear this, you say, oh yeah, that's the last series, right, on what it means to be a Christian. Um, so now you must show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters. Love each other deeply. With all your heart. Did Peter check off on this idea that Jesus said the most important thing is to love each other and to love your enemies? Yeah, Peter checked off on that, right? So did Paul. For you have been born again, verse 23, but not to a life that will quickly end. In other words, you're special. You said when you were born again, when you received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you were set apart. You're not just some schlep out there going around with your ticket punch so someday you can go to heaven. That's not why you are on this earth. You're on this earth for a purpose. You're set apart. You're holy. You're hagios. God says, you, I have something special for you to do. That's what he's saying here. For you have been born again, not to a life that will quickly end. Your new life will last forever because it comes from the eternal living word of God. Isn't that beautiful? When we live and love with Christ's character... The love of Jesus comes through us. It's not so much about what we do or what we say. Holiness is not something that has to be declared. It's something that's felt. It's something that's seen. It's something that's smelled. When you see someone who's living a holy life, you are drawn to them. Like uh, the non-believers are drawn, looking over the edge at our church or other churches and say, you know what, I don't know about this Christianity thing. I don't know about this following Christ thing. But I want to be like those people. I want marriages like those people. And I want to have character like those people. I don't want to be employees like those people. And I want to have children like those people. I want that. And that's what we are called to do. We're different. We're different. We're set apart. Deal Moody said it this way. It's beautiful. It is a great deal better to live a holy life than to talk about it. Lighthouses do not ring bells and fire cannons to call attention to their shining. They just shine. If you run into somebody that is, by their words, are always constantly telling you that they're holy and they're pure and they're godly and all that, be very careful. (laughs) That's a sounding gong. That's a ringing bell. That's a chime. Be very, very careful. Holiness is not just meant for angels or songs or theology, but lived out in our daily lives. It's not so much what we don't do, but it's what we do with the good news of Jesus Christ, that God has set us apart, hagios, to take to the world with love. That's what it means to be holy, to be full of Jesus in every part of life. I mean, is there anything better than that? I hope you're grasping this today. This has just kind of gotten a hold of my heart this week. And how do we get there from here? If you're not feeling very vase-like, if you're not feeling very spiritual or holy or set apart or anything else, Peter suggests several things we need in our lives for us to live out this holy life, this filled with God kind of life. Remember what we heard earlier? 
We've conquered outer space, but not inner space. Peter gives us some really good direction about how we can live this Holy Spirit filled inner space kind of life. And it begins with this. We need a brand new mindset. First Peter 1.13 says, therefore, prepare your minds for action. Now, the, the literal word there in the original language is to gird up the loins of your mind. Now, that sounds kind of really weird, you know, and it, it does. But that's what it means. Now, girding uh, when uh, people used to gird up their loins back in the in Jesus day, they always had these long robes and they would take those robes and they would literally tuck them into their sash or their belt. Uh, it was called a, a loin cloth, and they would just, or they would, it was of a sash, and they would tuck in it so that they were free and agile. They could move around, they could do work, they could, you know, if you've ever, I remember one time uh, at a church picnic, for some reason, somebody convinced me, this is when I was first a pastor, that I should wear a suit and wingtips, Mrs. Cross. And somebody convinced me I should look pastor like, you know. And so we went to this picnic, and they're playing t- tackle football. I've never turned down a tackle football game in my life. And I never will, even though I'm old and crotchety. I won't turn it down. So I'm out there in my suit pants and my wingtips playing tackle football. And I thought to myself, I needed to gird my loins better, you know. Now, this isn't working at all. So that's what it means. So your mind, you need to have your mind prepared. Roll up your sleeves. Uh, take off your coat. Let's get to work. That's what it means. We need to, that starts with the mind. Now, um, we're, and forgive me, uh, this will be, this is like number three of at least 50 football analogies uh, until uh, after the Super Bowl. And um, so if you ever watch some of these uh, football players and you watch them during like the Star Spangled Banner uh, uh, before the game, or you're watching them in preparation, some of them are have their earphones on and they're just kind of so focused and they're locked in and they're only thinking about you know, what can I do in the game and envisioning winning and envisioning making the perfect tackle and the perfect run and the perfect pass. And, all, and they're really, really focused. If you hear interviews by some of the players, how focused they are. Nothing else matters. You, you put everything out of uh, completely out of your mind. And it's I remember I forget what the context was that some kid or some I think it was an NFL player lost his brother. Does that ring a bell a few weeks ago? Remember, he lost his brother. Uh, like the night before, and came and played the game? You say, well, that's ridiculous. Well, that's how focused these people are. Well, we can learn from them, okay? That kind of single-mindedness, that, that kind of focus, that this thing matters more than anything else, that's what Peter is talking about. Therefore, prepare your minds, gird up your minds for action. So we need a new mindset, but there's something else we need. We need a new goal, okay? We need a new goal. 1 Peter 1.13 says it this way. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. Now, Peter's referring to that time when Jesus Christ is going to return at the second coming. Okay, so when you hear the word hope, uh, many times in the New Testament, not always, but most of the time when you hear the word hope, they're talking about the second coming of Jesus. Okay, that time when Christ will break through the eastern skies and return for his church and it'll be awesome. And so he's kind of, but he's also talking about the here and now because the people in Peter's day, they're being crushed by Nero. They're being killed by Nero. I mean, they're being, they're, their children are being eaten by wild dogs in, in Nero's circus. I mean, these things are going on. And so they are, they're intense about what are we going to do? He said, set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. But it also is very applicable for right now. That word fully means the full weight. 
In other words, lean your full weight where you need no other support on the grace given to you. Now, sometimes we lean our full weight on the law. We lean our full weight on a checklist. I don't smoke. I don't drink. I don't fool around. I don't do this. You know, we lean our full weight on um, the hope that that time I, I said the prayer, I, I did the deed, I said yes to Jesus, I got my ticket punched to heaven. We lean our full weight on the fact that I, I, I'm, I'm in. Okay, I'm in the club. We lean our full weight on, on our works, our works righteousness, our ability to somehow please God. We lean our full weight on that. And, and Peter says, no, 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 and no. Don't lean your full weight on your works, on the good things you do. Don't lean your full weight on all the things that you might do if you are a little better Christian. You lean your full weight on the grace of God. The grace is the unmerited favor of God. It's nothing you've deserved. It's nothing you've earned. It can't be, a t- a per- it can't be bought or sold. It is something that God lavishes, the Bible says, lavishes on you, his children. You lean your full weight on that. You lead your full, lean your full weight on that. Remember the old hymn? My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. You lean your full weight on that. You've heard me say jokingly many times I grew up in a church that said, my hope is built on nothing less than Schofield Notes and Scripture Press. And we laugh about that. But the reason we laugh about that is because we were leaning our full weight on something other than Jesus. Anything other than Jesus. Remember our studying Colossians a year ago? Christ plus anything is heresy. Christ plus nothing is eternity. I mean, that's the full weight on the grace of Jesus Christ. If we lean our weight on anything else, we will fail. We will fall. Our goal is to finish the race. Sometimes we um, have the wrong target. We say, if if only I behave myself, if only I... You know, pull up my bootstraps and just try a little bit hard to be a good Christian. And we're leaning our full weight on our righteousness instead of the righteousness of Jesus. We have the wrong target. I'm, I, I love the Olympics and we just finished the Olympics. But back, I think, I forget which ones they were. I think it was maybe in 04, but I'm not positive. Where the Olympic Games were in, were in Athens. Um, and American Matt Emmons was one shot away from winning the gold medal in the men's three-position, 50-meter rifle competition. I know all of you stayed up late at night to watch that competition. Now, that was really important. I know P- Brian Pollard did. Okay, he likes that stuff. So, uh, he was way ahead in this three-position, 50-meter rifle competition. Uh, led by three points going to the final round. He needed to only hit or near the bullseye. Didn't he didn't need to hit the bullseye, but just near the bullseye to win. He took careful aim, pulled the trigger, and waited. But the target did not register a hit. It turns out that while standing in lane three, he aimed at the target in lane two. He had a perfect bullseye in lane two, but the judges gave him a zero. How often do we aim our good stuff, our arrows, our works on the wrong thing? Oh, if only I can overcome this addiction. If only I can overcome uh, this habit. If only I can get past this situation. If only, and, and we are leaning on the wrong things. There's only one thing that will hold our weight, and that is the grace of God. The grace of God that says you, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Lean your full weight on that. Last July, um, 
the church did something that I never expected and I was just blown away by. You had a kind of 12th anniversary party for me. And those of you who are around in the summer remember that. This is back the first Sunday in July. And I, I had no idea it was happening. And our, our chairman, Andy Carey, came up and uh, gave Sherry and I a gift. And there was a party and it was really awesome and it was beautiful. And, and, um, and I thought later, I said, man, this is kind of weird. I don't feel like I should be, you know, <laughs> talked about or set apart or said nice things to. But uh, I, it, I know my hope is not built on that or anything else. But, but I'll tell you what, what, I did ha- what did happen to me. The following Tuesday morning, when I went into my office, I had kind of a, a new heart around my work. I had kind of a new energy around my work. Because I was so loved and so graced by you that I felt this power, this anointing, this joy, this energy to serve Christ in even better ways. That's what we're talking about. When you so experience the grace of God and His love, when you were so overwhelmed by His love and His saying, you matter to me more than anything else in the world. When you are so consumed with the love of Jesus that when you wake up in the morning, you don't say, man, I hope I don't do this. You say, I'll tell you what I am going to do. I'm going to be hagios. I have been anointed. I have been blessed. I'm going to serve Jesus with all my heart. We need a new goal. And that goal is the grace of God. It's not good works. And finally, we need a new identity. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. First Peter 1.15 You are called as Christ's one, as a disciple, to a new standard, a new purpose, a new way of life. You are not defined by your past. You are not defined by your addictions. You are not defined by your life in Christ or your life before Christ. Paul made it very clear in 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if any man, woman or child is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. Did you hear that? I mean, you've heard it all your lives. Did you hear that? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. You have a new identity. If Christ is in you and his holiness is in you and you allow Christ to live through you, it changes everything. I um, at my mother passed away in 2007. And uh, of course, Sherry and I went over there and all the family gathered there for memorial service. And I was uh, privileged to do my mom's memorial service. She was a wonderful saint of God. Some of you remember her. She visited several times back in the early 2000s. But uh, my mom died at age 79. She was very sick, but she was a godly woman to the last breath she took. And at the memorial service, I saw a lot of relatives I hadn't seen for many, many years. Some 20 years, 30 years, uh, aunts and uncles and all of that. And, and here's what I heard over and over again that day. Sherry will tell you that. They said, because they hadn't seen me like in, since I was a, like a teenager, some of them were in my 20s. And they said, they looked at me and they said, well, you look just like your dad. And my dad, Tom Cross, died in 1983. He was just 56 years old. So at the time of my mother's death, I was about the same age as my dad was when he died. And all these relatives said, you look just like Tommy. I mean, there's this incredible family resemblance. And, and you just looked like your dad and, and all that. I thought, well, that, I, that's, I can live with that. I love my dad and I, he was a great 
you know, Christian man and all that. I, I bear my father's name and I'm proud of that. Family resemblance is clear. But there's another name I bear. The name of Jesus. Christ's one. A disciple. Follower of Jesus. To be holy means living in such a way that others will think well of him. We bear and wear proudly the name of Jesus everywhere we go. Our identity is not found in our past, in our failures, but in the one who has saved us, in the one that we bear his name. I'd like to close this message with this phrase, be holy in all you do. I'm not talking about being perfect. I'm talking about being set apart, anointed to do a holy, incredible, beautiful task. And that is to take the message of Jesus who lives in you and take it to the world. Phillips, the translator, says uh, that be holy in all you do means in every department of your life. Holiness is not about rules and regulations, but about Jesus living in us and through us so that the world will see him and bear witness to the beauty of his name. So Christ, when I wake up, Christ in the shower, Christ around the breakfast table, Christ on the way to work, Christ in the classroom, Christ in the showroom, Christ in the office, Christ in the factory, Christ at lunchtime, Christ during the break, Christ on the way home, Christ at the supper table, Christ while watching TV, Christ while reading email, Christ while surfing the Internet, Christ on the telephone. At bedtime, while I sleep in the morning, all over again, in every detail, in every place, in every relationship, in every word, in every thought, in every deed, in my private moments, with my friends, with my enemies, when I am happy, when I am sad, in the good times, in the bad times, in my faith, in my doubts, Christ, when I succeed, Christ in my failures, Christ above me, Christ below me, Christ behind me, Christ around me, Christ within me. Christ always and forever. Christ first and last. Christ above my head and under my feet. Christ all around me. Christ guiding me in all I do and say. Christ in my deepest thoughts. Always Christ. Always with me. Always in me. Now and forevermore. Amen. Bow your heads with me, please.